0: Welcome, I hope everyone's looking forward to uh, everything that's lined up for you and is ready to network and learn and get mentored. My name is Colonel Deborah Ellis, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-E-L-L-I-S. Take advantage of the opportunity that is being given to you today. This is not something that everyone gets to experience. I know when I was a cadet uh, approximately uh, 100 years ago, Um, I didn't get to do something like this, um, and I wish that I did. You're going to meet so many folks, um, peers, civilians will meet military, military will meet civilians, Um, you're going to meet some senior folks. Take the time out to break away from the folks that you know, extend yourself. If you're shy, break out of your shell and go introduce yourself to someone. And when you are done today, have at least three people that are now part of your friend network that you have their contact information, they have yours, and you guys are now connected, and you guys stay in touch when this is all over. Not just seniors, but also, you know, friends and peers, okay? <coughs> so make that a goal to find three people, go out and introduce yourself to someone, share a little bit of information about where you're at, what you're doing, what you hope to do in the future. Share that information and then stay connected because this, this, this army thing is about relationships. And so the people that you meet along the way will be with you throughout your entire journey and you'll share information and grow and learn together. And it's really important. So uh, take advantage of that and cherish it. Um, do we have anybody here who'd like to come up and introduce themselves?
1: Good morning, everybody. My name is Cadet Mark Shelton. I am a second classman at the Virginia Military Institute. Um, I'm a computer science major with a minor in cybersecurity. Very excited to be here. Thank you guys for the opportunity. Excellent.
0: Thank you, Mark, and for being a volunteer. Here's a notebook for you. You use that today to take notes. Thank you. All right. All right. See how easy that was? Everybody can do that. All right, so what I'm gonna do now is turn the mic over to Vice Admiral Wins. He is the uh, National Committee Chairman for Baya Stars and Stripes.
2: Thank you, Colonel Ellis. And thank you all for being here this morning. So I'm gonna say good morning. Good morning. I didn't hear you. Good morning. Good morning. All right, that's much better. I'm used to a lively crowd with a lot of energy and uh, you know, you all are giving me that. If you give it back to me, I'll give it to you in tenfold. Uh, I'm just gonna provide brief remarks this morning to welcome you here to Bay of Stars and Strikes, but before I get started, I think that speakers, uh, like myself, with Washington, D.C. experience, um, should be reminded of the story of the Admiral, the Ensign, and the Lieutenant, who were all captured behind enemy lines, they were captured and sentenced to be executed. But before execution, each was granted one last request. The Ensign requested a lobster and steak dinner with all the trimmings. And for dessert, the Ensign requested the best cream brulee one could find. The Admiral, (coughs) somewhat verbose, requested to make one last very long speech about the government military track. And Jack, the lieutenant, thoughtful as always, requested to be shot before the admiral spoke. I love this. All right, Ernie, I'm one admiral who's a little different from the one in the story. Okay, so you heard um, Matt Bowman talk about Uh, the government military track and exactly what does that mean you're gonna have the opportunity so we we got a mixed crowd here this morning we got um, government military civilians we have cadets Air Force Army cadets I don't see any Navy midshipmen yet but I know we have some that will be here with us but all of you will have the opportunity to meet (coughs) a wide range of senior officials both on the military and the civilian side as well You'll, you'll meet uh, senior enlisted folks, Sergeant Majors, for example, uh, Master Chief Petty Officers, and the like. Take the opportunity while you're here over the next couple of days to talk to these individuals, get their guidance, find out how did they do it? You know What, 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 what does success look like for you? 13 years ago, at the Marriott Waterman Park in Washington, D.C., we were going to have our Bear Stars and Stripes dinner program like we have today. And we asked 37 admirals and generals and 75 high school students to come together for our very first mentoring session. It has grown immensely since then, 13 years ago. And today we have a very robust mentoring program before the Stars and Stripes dinner (laughs) involving over 600 highly competitive and selected high school students and early college students and close to 150 to 175 admirals and generals and senior executives who come and mentor the students. The whole purpose for Bay of Stars and Stripes, when we started the Bay of Stars and Stripes 18 years ago, was to encourage and inspire more students who look like you to major and focus on STEM careers. That's why we did it, and to this day, our mission still remains the same. I have a saying that success is where preparation and opportunity intersect. You're starting that preparation today. I should say continuing it because many of you, in fact, all of you, have been preparing for success for the most part, all of your lives. And so today I want you to continue that preparation so that you will continue that track of success. I know in a few minutes you're gonna hear from several distinguished speakers up here on the panel. I know some of them, uh, in particular, the one in the center, Ernie LaVert. He and I served together in a company called Lockheed Martin Corporation. Corporation. Probably heard of it. It's the largest aerospace defense company in the world. Over 100,000 employees. And when (coughs) someone walks up to you and they say, now that's like rocket science. Well, when you look at this man, he is a rocket scientist. So don't let anyone tell you you've never met a rocket scientist because you're gonna meet one this morning, that's him. When I think about Mentorship, I'm gonna shift gears here for a second. Mentorship, so why, why is mentorship so important to me? When I, I, I mentioned to you I started the mentorship program 13 years ago and the number of students and admirals and general officers that we had that very first year. The reason I am so passionate about mentoring is my mom was a school teacher. She taught the third grade and elementary school teachers. So I grew up in a household where education was extremely important. But you know what? I didn't think I was going to be really you know, focused on education, per se. I, I was just like everybody else on my street. We were all going to be NBA basketball players, <laughs> oh yeah, or football players, because that's what folks in my neighborhood did. We were all athletes. Junior high school, called middle school now, high school, and guess what? None of us made it to the pros. None of us, even though we were all focused on, thought we were gonna make it that way. But the one thing that many of us knew is that if we got a good (coughs) education, that a good education will carry you for the rest of your life whether you make it in the pros or not. We had folks that broke their ankle or tore a meniscus tear in their knee or whatever. An injury just like that could take you out and now your dream of becoming that great sports player just went down the drain. Education, ladies and gentlemen, is the one thing that no one can ever take away from you. That's what my mom kept telling me. Education is the one thing that no one can ever take away from you. So don't you ever forget that. I know that you all are excited about this military track. Matt Broman and Colonel Ellis, they put together a fine program for you. I'm excited for you. You'll see me running around Today and tomorrow, um, for the cadets and the midshipmen, you have passports. Um, make sure that you get those items checked off on your passports. Um, if you see me, I, could, I can help you with that along the way. I know a lot of people here, I can be one that will sign off your passport, and I'll take you to the next person and speed up that process for you. So, it's all about preparation. Preparation, again, success, intersection of preparation and opportunity. You're going to do great. I'm excited for you. Everyone, have a wonderful mm-hmm. next two days on the government military track. Thank you. <laughs> Over to you, Patreon.
3: So, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Are you all fired up?
2: Yes.
4: yes. yes.
3: Did you all know there was a war going on as we speak? Mm -hmm. Yes. Who's going to tell me what the war is? The war is on talent. Have you ever thought about that? The STEM fields, the opportunities, the dependency. You'll hear a lot about that today. Um, We have introduced earlier Mr. Levert, and we also have Mr. John Myers. Their reputation precedes them in terms of the impact they have, the education and technical expertise, they're renowned. Um, I could go through the list of accolades and honors and achievements, but I will defer to Mr. Levert to introduce himself, tell us a little bit about his story, and then I'll ask Mr. Myers to do the same thing.
4: Good morning. Let's try again. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, you know, I do that when I talk to my pre-K, all to my professional group. It's a way to get the energy going in the room. So it's going to be a good five minutes. It's hard to cram 50 years of experience into five minutes. But I'm going to start at the top and say, it's a blessing to be here. I always give the thanks to my Lord Jesus Christ for allowing me to wake up this morning to be in front of you. Because without him, I would not be here. Admiral Wing, and I, we go back. I mean, when I first met him at a, a, a Lockheed Martin event, and I'm a Navy veteran of 10 years. I was watching the movie Devotion on the airplane yesterday. And it, bringing back where I'm going to start my story this morning is I grew up in the University of Cleveland, Ohio. I was called, I was like in eighth grade, called the Foolish Dreamer. You never mind anything, because I want to be a fireman, I want to be a policeman, I want to be an engineer, you know, I want to be a scuba diver. You know, i want to be a pilot, you know. All those dreams, you know, you didn't amount to anything. But I knew coming out of the English city of Cleveland, Ohio, with four sisters and three brothers, I knew my parents couldn't pay for college. I've (coughs) always had two dreams. So I do magic tricks in the church at Westside Baptist Church. And I was in there with the deacons. They'd be smoking. I'd be doing my magic tricks. I'm only 13, 14 years old. And I remember a servant asking, what are you going to do with your life? Uh, Brother O'Neill, Brother Washington, and they were all military, and uh, they said to get yourself out of the hood, get yourself a skill. And I decided in eighth grade, you know, and back in middle school, you had shop. So we had woodworking, we had metal shop, and mechanical drawing, and I got hooked on materials. We was doing forging. I saw a movie that deal with welding. And I thought, wow, that is cool, joining materials together to make them stronger than what the base material is. And in eighth grade, so we're talking in the 60s, a lot of racism going on back in that time. I remember how the eighth grade, Monk the King was assassinated. That's the last day I had a fight. I walked away from every fight thereafter because uh, I cried when that man was assassinated. And so that changed my life. So I went to Max Education High School. I applied to Max Education <clears throat> High School, which in the, back in the day, they had to apply to go to a Votex vo- vo- school. I remember I got accepted, I gave it to my mom. And the cards of cards, she cried. I said, "Mom, this is my journey. Start my journey here, learning a skill, not knowing that skill of welding. And back in 1966, would take me to an awesome career in the field of welding, welding and material joining. So I joined the Navy because my parents can pay for college. But I set out roll out my my goals to become in all these different things. But the most important thing, the benefits of being in the military." And when I enlisted, my brother was a Vietnam vet. May he rest in peace. Uh, He served in Vietnam, made home, but he died from his injuries. And uh, I wear my Vietnam hat in honor of my brother and myself for for my military. But when I gave my mom, I told her I was going to join the military and I was going to join the Navy because I looked at every branch of service, say which one has most to offer. Graduated vocational high school with a, my skills in welding, and I was one of the top welders in my high school. I should have graduated, number one, because of races, I graduated number two. And uh, second thing was, she cried because she said, "You're going now you're going to the Navy, the most pretty graduate service that there is. And at that time, there were race riots going on on the aircraft carriers and what was going on. And I said, Mom, going through what I went through with Max Hayes, Going through uh, my job, first job as a 2 and die welder and club club products, it's going to help me become a better person, a better leader. And so with that being <laughs> said, that started my journey in U.S. Navy. Graduated from basic training with the American Spring Island for Leadership. I became a scoutmaster at the age of 18 years old. I was, my scoutmaster disappeared. I did not make Eagle Scout. But as, <coughs> two, weeks, uh, two weeks ago, I had my 50 Eagle Scout. I'm one of the few scoutmasters have had have over 25 Eagle Scouts. I had 50 Eagle Scouts under my belt. That's a blessing. And half of those young men are in STEM. Uh, another 25% of those are in the military. And I know Mr. Gorman is now a Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Gorman on the USS Gonzalez as a cybersecurity officer. A little kid that pulled up with me. So in the world, in the world of com- competitiveness that you're here in this room today, yes, there's a war in this room here, and it's all about you. Look at the person next to you, to the left, to the right. That's your competition. So you got to make sure you have that competitive advantage. Because I served 20 years on this floor right here at the career fair for Lockheed March. I came here in 2000, and I was like, this is awesome, the black Engineer of the year. I was just fired up. This young lady uh, got the technology award for the, uh, then the Catholic converter, and that's in every vehicle. And I thought, wow, I want to be up on that stage one day. And that was in 2000. 2015, I was on that stage. 2015, black Engineer of the year for career achievement in industry. I get out the way. My name is Ernest LeVert. So yes, Eddie LeVert, Jerry <laughs> LeVert are my cousins. Uh, yes, I used to see him back in the day. My brothers and I, we original <clears throat> gospel, uh, Harmonized LeVerts. And uh, I won't see for you today, because uh, no matter who I know now, I could have patented that name, and Jerry was still paying <laughs> me right now. But um, I enjoy coming here, because I get fired up to see my brothers and sisters how we are here for what, you know, what Martin Luther King said, be a contact care, not the color of your skin. And that's where the Navy really helped me grow. When I saw that movie Devotion yesterday, I mean, when I got to, I went from boot camp. I was in basic training, and my coming commander, i got to get this down in two more minutes, is he said, you know, I was in charge of 80 strangers, and he put me in charge of 80 men as recruit and petty officer. Kawasaki father, KKK Grand Dragon. Buck up from Mississippi. Guy Young from uh, uh, L- LA. So I got this military pot of these strangers. And when you become a leaguer, I mean, it's tough. But when we graduate Friday the 13th, September Friday the 13th, I had the and Bucking <clears throat> each other. That's why I got the middle for leadership, bringing that military part together. I got to my first duty station. I went, to, well, I went straight from basic training to C school at high-pressure welding school. Because I graduated with my career in welding, went straight to C school. I got to my first ship. Here I had seven welding certifications. I was the only high-pressure <coughs> welding certification on the USS uh, Sterrett. This guy, a Cruiser, San Diego, California. And my division officer called me the N-word and said, how in the hell are you going to do this kind of work on my ship? I'm E3. And cussed me out, up and down, called me the N-word, and said, you're going to do A, B, C, and D. So, I knew exactly what the man yesterday, Mr. Jesse, was going through in the Navy. And I just thought, wow, but what did Martin Luther King say? You're going to be a street cleaner and be the best street cleaner that you can. So, I was compartment cleaning behind those eggy, nasty, dirty cellars. But when the captain came and inspected that bathroom, you can eat off that bathroom floor. And he said, This is the cleanest head on my naval ship. Saluted so me, shook my hand, and the story there will end, as I said, in an instant, Byron went to come up to me and shake my hand. I said, get away from me. That's the only time in my life I ever disrespected someone. I teach my boys how respect is earned and not given. You In a leadership position, you will earn that respect. When you East walk walking here, all these senior officers, they've earned that respect. The same thing. You've earned my respect for being here today. So my career at to end it. just recently. I just retired December 31st after 36 years. Yes, what is a rocket scientist? Well, in the world where I'm at, I went to Ohio State University, graduated in welding engineering, material joining, graduated class of 82 with 18 job offers. And the highest paid coming out of the university, that's what PC was making. One, I had military experience, a career in welding material joining, and now I'm, taking, I'm teaching classes at Ohio State as undergrad. So that's another whole story. <clears throat> so bottom line is, is I've had an awesome career. Work on the space shuttle program. Ron McNair was my mentor in 1981. He came to Engineering Banquet and spoke to me. He said, I'm gonna tell you the same thing he told me. He said, Don't be a typical engineer. Pick an area of your discipline, become the expert. I chose Mm -hmm. power beam technologies. And I sit in front of you today as the number one African American in the world when it comes to power beam technologies. That's lasers, electron beam welding. As a technology, joining these materials, I got to think about it, I designed 15,000 Class A welds on the International Space Station and thermal control units. Think about it, you travel with 17,500 miles per hour, you know with 250 miles, you have a bad one Once the systems go bad, you're going to die. So that's how critical welding is going to be. I, I went from a welder to a technician to a welding engineer. So I, I work in material uh, processing, so I get to <coughs> build the hardware. I work with engineers. The technicians write procedures, make it all happen. We do the testing, the vibration. We do shake around and roll. We 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 shake it to a break, and I make sure because at the end of the day, I only had one failure on my watch on February the 10th 1991. I white the missile right with a missile flying through the air. Missile snapped in two, all because of the sh- a crack of the size of a human hair caused the missile snap in two because the program manager chose not to listen to me. But I I go to war every day when I go for my engineers. You're going to do it my way or the highway, and I would walk out the door. But I take full responsibility. The greatest challenge <coughs> I had was holding a lot of missiles together. The State Department came to Lockheed Martin, and I walked into a room with 50 and 50 individuals. Me and my partner walked in and said, what the heck did we just walk into? <laughs> well, I, Army uh, wanted to sell the army uh, uh, tactical missiles to for, form military countries. And to sell that missile for military country had to be anti-tamper-proof so you can't reverse engineer it. And I thought, and I'm I often see engineer, uh, VP says, you're a welding engineer, and you're a mechanical engineer, you gotta go make it happen, or die trying. Because it's a live missile. It took me two years to develop those procedures. I welded the first 25 myself, using electron beam welding, and I made my technician weld it and the rest, rest of those. But this is a live missile. That missile blew up, it blew up this whole Metroplex Let's say two-mile radius. I died twice in my sleep on that project, the most challenging project of my career. But we made it happen. I mean, it made like my three quarters of a billion dollars. So that's how critical my world has been. But the career path that you will end with the fact is, I love what I do. <coughs> I get paid for having fun. For so find your job and make it happen. It's like like uh, Ramenir said, pick an area, just become the expert. I found my niche. And I just retired I got it was Thursday. I got five companies waiting that to do for me to consult for them. But as just said, you have an opportunity to grow this week. Open up your network. If you're shy, I was a shy kid. You would not believe it today. I'll tell you that's a true story. My wife is a medical doctor. We I met my wife at Ohio State, and she I was of Vietnam, going back to college. That's why I was focusing. I got the 18 job. Out. But she was an Army medical doctor. And so <laughs> Army, Navy in the house. Uh, and, but more importantly, uh, she, uh, she retired as a major. Major mom, I call her. Because there a shield kicked off. And I, got, I was about that could become a Naval officer. I went through the boost program in the 96 Navy. I was about to become a Naval officer. Because when instant Byron really cuts me out, my next vision, I was to Lieutenant Tackett, turned night and day. I stopped a mutiny aboard my ship. I did. And they saw my leadership. Uh, Lieutenant Gibson, Lieutenant JG. African-American and uh, Lieutenant Tackett saw my leadership skills again and put me through the boost program. So I came to, the course, become a naval officer, but we didn't want both to be in the military at the same time the war was kicking off. So I see a lot of key so I work on a space shuttle program, space station, and I end with this. <clears throat> a month ago, I'm standing at the post at, the, at, the, at my mailbox. I'm looking look at the moon. and I start crying again because I helped work on the Orion project. The Orion just went to the moon and back. Mm-hmm. I helped design the launch abort system that's on top of that rocket. And we built a capsule called the Orion and Lockheed Martin, And I helped build that rocket. And here we are sitting 40,000 feet from the surface of the moon. And I just just make it back. Come on, we'll just make it back. I mean, there's a the little <laughs> kid that said you never mount anything. There, my work is up there circling the moon right now. And it made it back. So did anybody tell you, no one can stop you but you? So my philosophy is, with God in your life, and faith in yourself and send the Senate chief of your what you told. If you Google Ernest Laverde, you'll see a lot that goes on. I can Google myself. I was in, uh, at DFW Airport and 15 lawyers in the room. There was an interview on me to decide whether I could be an expert witness trial litigation. And these 15 lawyers, and they all make, what, $1,000 an hour. I'm thinking, this, I'm, I'm in this room with all these folks. But the chief lawyer says, guys, means over. Ernest Laverde, you're hired. Google yourself. And I went home and Google myself. I didn't realize that. But the last thing I'll leave with, I'll leave with you is uh, uh, in 2013, I was uh, identified one of the top 100, 108 African American scientists in the world, by the history makers. They came to my house, interviewed my entire life. So my CD, five CDs of my life, is now in the National Library of Congress as one of the top African Americans in the United States of America. So I'm just truly blessed. As I sit in front of you, I say it again, if I can do it, you can do it. Nobody can stop you but you. So you see me around the rest of this week. I'll be more happy to talk with you and give me a year and a half and you'll see my book I'll i'll call it The Power of One. Mm. My journey from the University of Queen to now international renowned rocket Scientist. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Meyer,
3: sir. Thank
1: hey, morning. Um I'm gonna uh, kind of pivot a little bit. I'll talk a little bit about myself but I really want to talk a little bit about the ecosystem that I work in and maybe hopefully inspire you to go into the stem fields um, So I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hopefully there's maybe some steeler fans out there But uh, I grew up in a very small town. My dad was a steel worker grandfather still worker pretty much my entire family That's what we did for many many years Uh, I think we have uh, one red light and about eight bars in my town. So very (laughs) blue-collar town, if that paints a picture for you. So when I grew up, I was going to be like my dad and my uncles and my grandfather. And as a junior in high school, all the mills closed. So, you know, my dad came home for dinner, never forget it, and he's like, well, after 28 years of working in the mill, that's it, we're done. And so I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? That's my future, because where I came from, you either worked in the mills or you became a professional football player. And I was pretty mediocre. Uh, caught a few passes, but that was about it. So I was you know, trying to figure out well, what do I do. But my family um, was very much focused on opportunities. They, it didn't matter what the challenge was. They said, well, my dad on their face said, this is your opportunity. You're good in math and science. You're going to go to college like I never had the opportunity. So I was the first one or I grew up to even think about going to college. Um, they gave me hundred bucks, sent me off to Penn State, and the good news was is it turned into an opportunity because all the unemployed steelworker kids got special loans and grants to go to college, which I had to pay for afterwards, but I'll get to <laughs> tell you, it got me through Penn State, and um, when I got there, uh, I was looking for jobs because I needed to pay for school. Um, they had this thing called a work study, 20 hours a week, I did 40 and then I found out about this thing called a co-op and all I heard was you make money while you go to school. You go to school and you know, for a semester and you work for a semester and this um, place called the um, Naval Air Development Center in Philly um, was interviewing and I applied and I says, wait a minute, am I joining the Navy for this job? And they're like, no, this is a civilian job. I'm like, well, what is, I don't understand what that is, right? So. <clears throat> they said, you know, you're um, working for the military. You're doing, you know, uh, engineering for the military to, to make sure that, you know, they come home safe to their families with the products you put out. Like, that, I, I'm in. Um, and so I got an internship or a co-op in uh, Philly, worked there for a while. Uh, and then uh, they wanted to hire me after I graduated Penn State gave me an opportunity to get my master's they were paying for it I heard it's free it's you know I don't have to so I stayed for my master's after that they were development center called in and said hey we want you back so I worked in Philly for a while and this thing called the BRAC came out uh, base relocating enclosure I don't know if you've ever heard that uh, but that means that they've decided that where you're working is no longer going to be there and they're going to shut you down and maybe move you. So of course I called my family, I'm like, this is terrible. And my dad said, no, this is your opportunity, right? I'm like, he's like, are they gonna move you? Yeah, well then you're gonna go and I guarantee you're gonna have some phenomenal opportunities. And it was, I got a chance to go to uh, Pax River, Maryland. I was there for a while and no kidding, within a couple of months, there was a lot of job openings because only about 25 of us actually moved. Um, I got a chance to do some phenomenal things in some of the labs that I worked in as an engineer. Um, I got to crash helicopters on purpose to see, you know, the effects of that, so we could use that technology to save lives in crashes. I got to do some phenomenal things with ejection seats, where we would break femurs uh, from cadavers to see, you know, what the uh, effects were, uh, so that we could design seats uh, at the time for uh, females who were not flying, and so we had to figure out uh, how does that ejection seat save you know, um, small, uh, females up to large males, because at the time it was designed for a 50 percentile male to, you know, uh, and then that gave me an opportunity to get into different areas. Uh, and then finally I had this, uh, saw this opening in Orlando uh, and I had a conversation with my wife and my son, because to me, everything was about family. Uh, and you know, where I came from, it was, you know, family first, you know, hard work, uh, do the right thing and good things will happen. So I'm like, Hmm, this sounds like a, a good opportunity. I uh, had a family meeting, asked my wife and son, Hey, if, uh, if I apply, this means we're moving, I'd have to move to Orlando. What do you think? Are you guys up for this? And my wife's like, well, what are your sh- chances? 5%. It's, it's gonna be highly competitive. I just want to put my name out there that I'm interested and in. I'd just be happy to get an interview. My son was little at the time, I think, uh, elementary school. He's like, what about my, my friends in my, you know, in my school. Well, you we have new school and new, new friends. And I don't know why I said it, but I said, I think everyone in Orlando has a pool. And he's like, I'm in. Right? <laughs> so I got the interview. And no kidding, I got the job. And they asked me, OK, are you ready to go to Orlando? And I'm like, um, can I get back to you? I got to talk to my family. And I think they were surprised by my answer. am like, well, sure. So I had a family meeting uh, at dinner, and I said, hey, uh, who, um, I got the call, who wants to go to Orlando? My son's like, we're getting a pool. And my wife's like, I thought it was only a 5% chance. So they said, okay, we're, we're going to, to Orlando, and um, uh, I've been there about 10 years now. And I gotta tell you, it's a phenomenal job. Um, and I got a few slides, I just wanna kind of give you a flavor of kind of the ecosystem that I've been working in for the last 10 years. Uh, and hopefully it inspires you to maybe think about uh, a career in STEM, because we need you. We, uh, the, the war on talent is real, as, as we talked about. And right now i got a ton of openings in Orlando that I just can't fill. Uh, and we are here hiring, and so I just want to put that plug in. Long uh, is at the uh, career booth, so happy to uh, get your name signed up. But here's uh, what we call Team Orlando, and just to dazzle you with the technology, this is voice-activated. So next slide, please. I love There you go. Um, So we have, uh, in Orlando, um, all four services are are located there. um, And our mission is to uh, provide training products so that our customer, the military, can go do their job and come home safe to their family. To me, that's the most important thing. That mission has tied me to my career all 33 years-ish that I've been doing this. It's all about bringing folks home safe to their family. it's not about making you know money for the shared holders. So I think it's just a different uh, mission. Uh, you can see that you know, on the top right, we sort of have what we call the big four in what we call Team Orlando. And Team Orlando is actually built off a 70-year-old memorandum of an understanding. It's the longest in running history between the Army and Navy that says we're going to work together on training products. So that's how long this history has been in Orlando. Um, the big four, if you see up there, uh, we've got PEO STRI, which is a program executive office for synthetic training, ranges and instrumentation, the entire training for all of the Army goes through PEO STRI. Next to that, you see a PM TRACES logo. That's the Marine Corps. They do all of the training for the Marine ground uh, folks. We... The next logo, is NOC-TSD, Naval Air Warfare Center, Training Systems Division. We do the Marine Corps Air. Uh, about a quarter of our portfolio is naval aviation. About a quarter of our portfolio is uh, surface and undersea training products for the Navy. A uh, Quarter of our portfolio is foreign military sales and growing. A lot of our coalition partners, I name a country and I guarantee there's a NOC-TSD training product in that country. And then lastly, our portfolio entails a lot of our in-service uh, Where we have a lot of these high tech simulators and training products across the globe that we support. And the last logo is the Air Force Agency for Modeling and Simulation. Uh, and they are tied uh, uh, to uh, right Pat, uh, the simulators division. So we've got all four services uh, all in one location, all focused on modeling, simulation, training, and performance. It's a very powerful ecosystem. Uh, And then we have some supporting organizations down here. I think the Space Force is now joining us, too. Um, You've got uh, Army Futures Command that has uh, folks there. We've got um, uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, that does a lot of training uh, there. And we've got just a tremendous ecosystem that, again, is all focused in that specific area, all collaborating together. Next slide, please. So we are actually on the Second smallest naval base. It's only 40 acres. This is it, <laughs> uh, but it's a research park. Uh, you'll notice there's not an airstrip or a port there. Um, I'm a little jealous because some of my nav air friends they've got you know runways and they see aircraft fly by every day. Although what they don't have that we do is NASA is only you know, 30 miles away. So I get to actually see, you know, rockets fly by and go up into space on a regular basis. I don't know if you're paying attention, but Kennedy Space Center, we seem to be putting the rockets out every couple of days. Uh, it's kind of funny, as my son was growing up in Orlando, um, there was two things that would stop a soccer game. It was the water timeout and it was the uh, space uh, launch timeout because all the kids would be looking at And I guess we take it for granted down there. Um, If you think about the secret sauce though, why Orlando? So what do you think about when you think about Orlando? I'm sure it's all about the technology, right? No, you think about the theme park. So think about that for a minute. Think about, you know, Disney and and Universal, which is a half hour south of here, Uh, what do they do? It's the suspension of disbelief, right? So think about the power of that in terms of the training products and putting you in you know, devices that you're, you're not really in the world that you're in, right? Um, gaming is a big uh, focus area for you. So training products uh, become more challenging if you build them around games. EA Sports, Madden Football, anybody Madden Football players, they're right down the street. That's where their home office is in Orlando. We team with them to do some uh, gaming products uh, for the modeling simulation training industry. Um, I talked about NASA Uh, We've got uh, the National Cyber Range is in this Partnership uh, 5 building. So the Army runs the National Cyber Range uh, in a skipped out space on the fifth floor. And the Partnership buildings are there for a reason. So the state of Florida realized, hey, this small little 40 acres is putting out about $8 billion every year in modeling simulation training products. Uh, We want to keep them here. So they started building partnership buildings around our base uh, And the University of Central Florida is in our back door Uh, You may not know this, but they are the second largest university in North America So Toronto has 90,000 students in one location University of Central Florida has 72,000 and I'm proud to say my my son who just graduated high school is a freshman there Uh, At University of Central Florida uh, in uh, engineering and computer science. Um, So we have folks in those partnership buildings that are graduate students, um, 50 percent of the buildings, and then DOD employees and DOD military in those buildings working on collaborative research together for modeling simulation training. So this is actually now the uh, sixth largest research park in the US. You may not know that because again, most folks think about Disney and Universal. So this uh, suspension of disbelief and these Disney rides that we create for the military are right here in Orlando. Um, the other thing that's unique is this partnership uh, for building, it's outside the gate. It's what we call an innovative technology hub. And if uh, we can go to the next slide. Uh, what we have created there is some folks are a little uh, Intimidated to come on a naval base or any base you got to have a special badge and clearance and all that uh, We're trying to spark innovation in this area um, And so this allows anybody to just walk into partnership live, And these are the areas that that we focus on so there's what we call the gra- garage guys and gals Who just want to solve hard problems? They've got some cool toys that they uh, bring us and then we work together to try and get those products out uh, to our customers, um, and so hopefully some of these areas resonate with you. We don't do this alone, so the the secret sauce is you know industry, academia, and um, uh, industry, and 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 DoD the three the three bigs. And you'll see the Boeings and the Lockheeds there. I mean, they're key partners. But what you'll also notice on there is folks like Schlumberger. Well, what do they do? They build oil rigs. Well, what does that have to do with the military? Well, they're doggone good at fighting fires on oil rigs, and they know how to train for that very well. So it's very akin to fighting fires on a ship. And so we have you know, partnered with them to harness that and collaborate. So, it, it you know, with taxpayer dollars, it doesn't help us if, you know, The Air Force comes out with the greatest thing since sliced bread and then the Navy comes out with the exact same thing the next day. Uh, So we very much look at what others are doing so we can kind of leverage that uh, technology. Um, You'll see Disney there. We had an intern uh, actually um, do a rotation at Disney to learn from Disney and vice versa. Um, the Star Tours ride in Disney, if you've ever rode it, it's about 30 years old. It's, uh, but you go underneath it, and it's the same actuators, the same vendors, the p- same piece parts as our H-60 simulators. And so uh, our intern that went over there found out that, you know, the way they operate and maintain that is exactly how we operate and maintain some of our simulators out in the fleet. Think about Disney, they may have, you know, one or six Rides that are the same that they have to same with us. We we may have a couple of uh, Different simulators of a certain type uh, that we have to operate maintain and do tech refresh Uh, so um, This uh, is a picture of uh, battle stations 21 So I was told I'm allowed to give out homework to you all so I would say Google (laughs) battle stations 21 because um, I'm not gonna do this justice. There's a lot of cool videos out there. And so I'll just paint a picture for you. Um, this is a $85 million Disney ride. We actually partner with Disney to build it. So this is a seven day scale destroyer inside a building in 90,000 gallons of water. So it's not a real ship, it's a simulator. Uh, and every night, um, for fifty out of fifty two weeks a year, three hundred and fifty sailors will go through this ride so they' um, they start you know in um, as basic training where they get yelled and screamed at by their drone instructor for about three months. Well their last week uh, their graduation exercise is this simulator that we TSD helped build um, what they do is they uh, they around six o'clock after done with classes for day six p m they go out on the pier there um, it is actually like a pier. You got the bird poop on the deck. You got the sights, the sound, the smells of diesel. I mean, you are actually on a pier ready to get on a ship. And some of our folks have never even seen a ship. So to to them, it is now you are in that, you know, immersive environment like a Disney ride. And so 350 sailors embark, they go out on the ship. Um, If you go inside the ship, it's very much exactly like being on a ship. The only difference is the hallway's a little wider, the stairs are less steep, so we can get a lot of folks, 350 people moving through there. Um, We uh, Around, uh, I'd say about 10 p.m., um, they are now at a different port to pick up supplies. They come off, and guess what? the, uh, the scenery has changed, and they are now uh, in a different area, and they've got all of this stuff they've got to load. So they do the human daisy chain. They load up all the supplies, and now they're heading back. And somewhere around um, 1 a.m., uh, they get attacked by some bad guys, and so now they have to figure out how to load weapons uh, to fight the bad guys and not drown because water is rising quickly. So this is maybe more of a nightmare Disney ride, but this <laughs> is, for them, they've gotta figure it out and not drown, and that's only one compartment. And, and just like a Disney ride where you may have 10 people in this room you know, getting tortured, now you have another 10 people in this room getting tortured, and they don't know what's happening, so the next uh, scenario that the team faces is there's a an actual fire in a compartment and they've got to go put it out. And what they don't realize is that as soon as they go in the room, there's a pressure plate uh, that they step on all the time. They don't know it. And then the flames get higher right in front of them. And so um, you can actually visit this. uh, And the cool part is is there's one-way mirrors for the instructors to make sure that obviously no one drowns, uh, you know. Um, but you could see the panic look on these sailors' faces, which to me is kind of fun, actually, to see that at 2 a.m. Um, but uh, the other one is here on the right. Um, and it's, ba- it's uh, modeled after the uh, USS Cole. And so the USS Cole, if you know, got uh, blown up and this is the battle damage. Now, you can actually see here, and you got an instructor after the fact talking through some stuff, uh, but normally y- you can't even see. There's arcing and sparking of a lot of, of uh, electronic equipment, there's smoke, I don't know if you can see it, but there are body parts there, and this is real for them because the other scenario they have to go through is they Um, have to make their way through this battle damage and there are high-tech mannequins shipmates calling out for help. They're injured and they need to get medical attention. So this team has to work their way through this battle damage through the smoke. Um, They get to the injured uh, teammates. No sooner to do that, a bunch of debris falls behind them. So now they can't get out the way they came in and they have to get those folks to medical attention. Um, At the End of the night, about 8 a.m., they've been up all night, and they survived, and they're exhausted, and they go back out on the dock, and the admiral there at the school comes out. Uh, they have an 80-foot flag that comes in front of that ship. Lee Greenwood's God Bless America plays. And those drill instructors who've been yelling at those recruits for the last three months, they come up to them, they take their, their recruit ball cap off, and they put their Navy ball cap on and they are now sailors. And I gotta tell you, I've been there and there's not a dry eye in that place at that 8 a.m. But now they survive. So think about that. That's what we do for a living. We prepare our customers, our military, to go into battle and come home safe their family. So that's kinda why we're here. I've got one last slide. I think this just shows uh, all the locations. I don't know if that's showing up well, but we've got uh, about 169 places that you have not TSD employees at. Uh, so if Orlando's not your thing and, and you're not up for the, you know, the Disney annual pass and you want to be somewhere else, we got opportunities <laughs> all over the globe um, and uh, supporting our customers. Because if there are, um, you know, a fleet concentration somewhere, I guarantee you there's an D employee there um, running, operating, and maintaining those Disney rides. And for us, you know, Disney, they call it the happiness factor, you know, when Magic um, you know, the – Rides go down in, in Disney, the happiness factor goes down by the customers, but for us, it's, it's um, readiness. So if our rides, our training products, our simulations don't work, um, then our customers now are not ready. And if you see things going around uh, in the news, we've got to be ready. So that's uh, kind of, and I think I got one last slide if you want to jot down some numbers and things. And like I said, uh, that I mentioned we're hiring in Orlando? We've got <laughs> folks here at the career fair. But hopefully this uh, inspires you a little bit to think about a career in STEM. Uh, and, oh, by the way, Orlando is only one of 16 warfare centers. Uh, so those warfare centers and labs are the technology and innovative hubs across the Navy. And so if you're uh, into other areas, like wanting to understand you know, how to, be, uh, how to, how to um, build weapons, how to uh, build ships or subs, there's 16 other locations across the, the U.S. that uh, TSD is a sister warfare center. We all collaborate together uh, across the U.S. So with that, I'm looking forward to some of your questions.
3: Thank you, Mr. Myers. Um, I tell you, it's humble to stand before you all and facilitate this discussion, such rich talent here. So I purposefully didn't introduce myself until after you heard how amazing they are. Um, My name is Adrienne Somerville, and I am the Deputy Director for the Command Operations Group for Naval Air Systems Command. And another, so I'll tell you what that includes, HR, IT, training, leadership development, security, facilities, small business, public affairs, all for the naval aviation. In another life, I was a contracting officer. How many people are familiar with the F-18 fighter jet? I helped purchase those. (laughs) How many people are familiar with V-22s? Vertical lift? I was your production contracting officer with an unlimited warrant. I purchased the MVs for the Marines and the CVs for SOCOM, Special Operations Command. And Mr. Myersman, h 60, another one. So in addition to all of that, now I move into talent management. I have a full appreciation for the struggle to manage talent, to attract talent, to develop talent, and to ensure the safety of our nation. So you'll hear a lot about engineering and you'll hear a lot about cyber um, and a lot about the STEM fields. But what I'd like to talk to the panelists today before we get into questions is, the engineering world and the STEM field is ever changing. It's extremely dynamic in order to stay ahead of the game and what we call in DOD, we're gonna outpace the threat. That requires all hands on deck. I didn't say I was a supply corps officer. So that's the Navy piece coming out. With that said, you, Mr. Myers, if you would start first, share a little bit about the differences in when you came into the organization and its engineering field, and more importantly, be a little bit predictive and describe what you anticipate we need to prepare for as these young leaders go into the world.
1: Well, it's the, that's a hard question. That's good, but I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I would tell you, um, as I grew through my career, um, you, you know, as you, To me, the fun part was earlier in my career. I did a lot of hands-on engineering. Um, My time working in the labs was just so much fun. We solved a lot of problems. One thing that I look back on was one where we were having issues with the AV-8B where they got a new engine. I forget um, what happened, but the engine wasn't functioning as well as they thought, and one out of every three Marines who flew the AV-8B was ejecting. And you know we had to make sure that that you know, ejection seat was 99.99% reliable, and we have these envelopes called survivable ejections. Well, what was happening is inside that survivable envelope, we were having aviators not survive. And so we had to quickly figure out, you know, uh, how do we investigate these crashes and understand what's going wrong? Um... And the, to me, the rewarding part was we figured out. We figured out that, you know, um, because of the way they were ejecting, um, the parachute risers were coming out at an odd angle and catching on the oxygen mass tanks, creating a, a torque on the neck and breaking necks. And so we quickly, quickly resolved that, put some streamlined fittings on there, and we saved a lot of lives there. And so that was very steeped into engineering and trying to figure out and problem solve that. Uh, And then we we went on to do other things in the engineering year. But as I grew my career, it turned more from, you know, hands-on engineering to leadership. Uh, It was very much leading teams and then leading branches and then leading divisions. And and now I've got, you know, 2,000 people that you know, are in my organization that I'm accountable and responsible for. And I tell my folks, look, I, you don't work for me, I work for you, right? Mm-hmm. So my job is to get the barriers out of your way so that you can go fast and solve problems. Um, so I, I think that's one area. The other area is um, kind of between, I would say our industry partners and the government career in so It's a little different in terms of area of responsibility. I think growing up, um, in the government, we were put in the areas of responsibility a little quicker than our industry counterparts. Uh, I think because we had to. We we. Um, uh, but I think that's a, a fun part of that challenge. Um, and so, to me, yeah, you could be a, a, a doggone good engineer, and we've got career paths throughout the Navy where you could do that forever. Uh, and then the other career paths are really about leadership. You know, but that's really I think what it boils down to is making sure that. You know, you could figure these things out in a team environment, and sometimes you're leading the team of industry counterparts. And um, so I think that's part of it. And then uh, lastly, you know, in terms of future, I could tell you now with the budgets that we have, we will never have as many ships, planes, subs as our competitors. This is not going to happen. And if you think about three simple variables of, of what we do for a living it 's you know hardware plus software plus human. so if we 're not going to have as many toys or weapons or ships we got to outthink our competitors that 's the only way we 're going to win um, and so to do that, that you know hardware and software we 're very good at optimizing, but when we get into that human systems integration. Um, even the word autonomy where there's no human is based on human decision makings and actually kind of puts actually more workload on fewer humans so That's where we're going to excel. That's where we need help, that human systems integration piece, figuring that out. How does all this stuff work together? We're doing a lot uh, in Orlando and elsewhere on artificial intelligence and machine learning, Um, and we're doing amazing things, but uh, we're almost to the point where we're oversaturating our humans. Uh, They're the weak link now, and so that's where we... Absolutely have to excel. So we're in our ecosystem. You know that's human performance is one of the major drivers on how are we going to do that? How are we going to outthink our competitors?
3: Thank you, sir. Mr. LeBert, sir. Uh,
4: before I answer the question, I want to say thank you for your presentation because what he just mentioned, being a Navy sailor, I was a whole maintenance technician. So on my day job, I was working the maintenance our division. When we went to Ballast Station, I was a damage controlman. So everything you just said, I lived. I mean, you go into that fire, you, I mean, you go into that, that, that scene, the first thing you do, you secure the power, and you go into a dark space. I got a hole in the wall over here, hit by a torpedo. I got to check my, my, my shipmates down here. Yes, they're yelling, they're screaming. Uh, you're putting out fires. That's realistic. And we was going through abandoned ship drill, and the guy got stuck in a hatch. And we're laughing. I said, why, why are you guys laughing? We're dead washington is stuck and we're dead right here because we can't get out of that space i mean water's coming up to you but the simulations and uh, my niece was in the navy they're right next to the coal when it was bombed over there so yeah, that's realistic i would love to come down to your facility and check it out i really do i'm, I'm gonna make a plan to come we'll, well i'll be there awesome. i, I want to come see yeah, that come because on <laughs> I, mean, I mean i mean seriously haven't lived it I mean, when you say, I mean, General Gordon on him, and your battle stations, you go, you do know we're gonna live or die that day. I got, I got to tell him to Vietnam, so I saw some action over there. Mm. Uh, you putting out fire, you know? I'm, I'm on the flight deck. Uh, I'm the senior up there. If that helicopter's coming in, we gotta be ready to go. I mean, most time people run from some sort of situation, we gotta to run to the situation. And I was, just saying, I, mean, I was just reliving what you just said on the simulators. <laughs> and you're right, at the end of the day, you said, We did, we saved the ship. And remember, Captain Kirk said, Scott, give me all you got. We got to do the exact same thing. Because if we, I mean, my job was keep that ship afloat. But I just said, Thank you for that, man. I mean, you, you took me back the <laughs> years. <laughs> well, I mean, back today. But the theme that she was saying with the way the technology is changing. As you look to your future, find yourself a good company that you feel is, is very competitive. We're all in competition, whether Lockheed March or Raytheon. But same thing, you're all in competition with the person next to you. So you got to stay abreast of all the latest technology. From the time I started Lockheed March in 86, to I just retired. I go to international conferences, I, I'm always learning. So you have mm-hmm. to be in that learning mode because you gotta make, you got to be value-added to your company. If you're not value added, then the next person coming in and bringing their skill sets and they're more competitive than you are, then they put you out to pasture. Mm-hmm. So you got to stay focused on what you're doing with your competition, being that competitive edge, because once getting the person next to you, you going to get promoted. Who's going to get promoted? You got to have the right skill sets. It about like where I was back in the day. I want to be VP of operations at one point in time. But the end of the day, <clears throat> I got to that career path. I went to program management, but then I decided to go, I backed up. I went to the technical side of the house. I retired as a Lockheed Martin Fellow, and I was the first African American fellow, fellow in the fire control. And that was a hard journey, because back in the day, it was hard to get up there, and I got stuck in rough for 13 years. But I did, I kept fighting, kept fighting, I had a VP pull me up, and I made a fellow, so I'm the number number go-to person. Like he, Marjorie, comes to world and the end of material joining problem. I walk in, all hell is frozen over. So I got walking with the skill sets to say I got to solve the problems. And as I go with my scouts, I'm going overseas right now. When well, I went to Germany to build your field Germany, a little town, outside of Berlin, and I solved the problem within two hours. knew new big six foot five Germans, I said, man, I'll be judging me when I grow up. I said, why is that? Because one. He walked in, I asked for some documentation. He said, Here, are, here you are, Mr. President. In the 14-minute team, Mr. President, He said, Yes, uh, you're Ernest Lever, right? I said, Yes. And uh, you're the president of the, the American World Society? I said, Yes. I was the sitting president that brought down the barrier between the Germans and the United States. So the American World Society and the German World Society brought down the barriers. So we took a picture there in of Germany in 2002. So my picture's on the wall in headquarters. He did some training there, so he knew who I was. So, but he said, you flew all the way across the ocean, you came down to the little town, you solved the problem in two hours. And spent the next two days training the guys how to fix the problem. There's a tiger turbine at the base of the ocean in the South Sea. This to generate uh, power for 750,000 homes, but they had some major problems. But I came in and solved the problem. So you got to be competitive and keep your skill sets going, because that's where it's going to be. So the technology you have today, and John just said it, when we're changing every day, and the pace of change... Is kicking our butt right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he just did his PowerPoint, next slide. Back in the day, someone clicking it and then he had the, the <laughs> mouse. Now it's all voice activated. But see, technology, I mean, this technology is changing. And what he just said about the technology, look at the F 35, and she said the F 18, the F 22, the F 8, I mean, all these ships, you know, when back in the day, you look at Star Trek, I mean, that's where we're going. So you got to think out of the box. And there's no dumb ideas out there. we mm-hmm. get into I'm a black belt links the black belt. you come into a room. you got those ideas out there. whoever come out, you know we got a better product, a better mousetrap. because you just said it the competitions out there. I travel the world I'm involved in the international welding. This is the international organization make fifty six countries. These are the best and the braggest in the world. We come together every year. I chair Commissioner Ford who the Department of Technology so there i mean, it was in Germany in front of my colleague from 56 different countries. I'm going to see it from 1,000 people. But yet, I lead these individuals. And we're bringing together. We keep everything on uh, in, in the properties down to, to where we need to be, but we share, we share technology. So we're, we're not afraid to share technology. We have to share things together as we grow in the future. So remember that. So as you look at companies, and yourself, you gotta be competitive. The way it was today, it's not gonna be the same a year from now, forget that. A month from now it's not gonna be the same. So make yourself you're very competitive. And that's why I say I can say I'm the number African American to work I'm still in that city in front of a thousand of my international friends. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say this. I'm in that room, in the international community, there's zero racism in that room. That's where we were when I was 20 years ago, 50 years ago when I joined the Navy in, in, the, in the early, in the 70s, to where I'm at right now. The only racing in that room is from my American counterparts. And I told my colleague from Italy just uh, a few months ago, was in uh, Orlando, and was talking. I said, you know, he's now the president or CEO of the uh, International Welding. I said, And I shared with them, this is a great organization. Because in words of Martin Luther King, when I stood up there, I chaired the International Electrical and world Conference that I created. And I told him I was about to give it up and because uh, my manager, racism, took out my budget and all that other story. But they still gave me a standing ovation that you have basically ever had. There's only like one African American in that room. That was yours truly. So in the words of Martin Luther King, that dream has come true. And I challenge all of you to do the exact same thing. You may be in a room where you may be the only one. That look like you, with male, female, uh, Hispanic, or, or just a brown color, or anyth- anything. There you go, the culture is changing. And so, where it was 20 years ago, to where it's gonna be in the, f- in the future, I look at the young kids in the room. I say, young kids, my, my daughter, <laughs> my granddaughter is 14 months old, and my son's 32, and my daughter's over. They're both engineers, they're both doing great. My daughter's the VP, my son's 051c3. I challenge all of you to follow your dreams. I dare you to dream. Don't you me take the dream away from you. Because I became a pilot, a scuba diver, a rocket scientist. I traveled to 40 countries, 10 million miles around the world twice on two ships. So if I can do it, you can do it. So Thank you, Mr. Weber. Appreciate that.
3: All right. So you've heard a lot of good information shared here today. We got about five minutes. You all are leaders, even in the positions you're in today. Who has a question?
4: Uh, good morning, panel. Good morning, ma'am. Um,
3: my name is Cadet Third Class Mason Slaughter from the United States Air Force Academy. Um, my question is for Mr. Myers. Um, you said the mission of your company is to train motivated men and women to bring soldiers home uh, through hardware, software, and human integration.
0: So with that, um, what types of engineering questions should we be asking to optimize those systems in those three factors?
1: Great question. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I would start with a human because we are very good at um, focusing on the hardware and software. And so I would say, okay, how is the human going to interact with this to explain, um, you know, where those touch points are? uh, I I would absolutely start with a human. You'll find as you get... um, into your careers, the human seems to be the afterthought. And, and I got a good example for you. I remember um, we were at what's called a critical design review where you're pretty far along in the design of a product. So the JSAO weapon um, is when they designed that and they didn't bring in any of the human systems integrator folks and they realized that to launch that weapon, you had to click 23 times on a screen dial to launch the weapon. And they started to realize quickly that the pilots aren't going to use a weapon that, like, hold on, I got <laughs> launch, right? Um, so, it, with the products and the budgets that we have, every dollar is precious. Um, no kidding, we had a conversation about. Well, can you just train these folks to go really fast through 23 screen tiles instead of having to redesign the software? Because redesign the software is going to be too expensive. Those were actual conversations. You know, train someone to go really fast. Um, And no kidding, it took us a while to convince the folks who had the money, we need more money because you didn't bring you know, the right people to the table. Um, everyone brings an expertise. That's the other key message here is, you know, we're very good at collaborating. Not a person knows everything. Those teams are important. And it's not just about the team in one location. It's about many locations. So that's probably another good question. It's like Who's on the team and, and what kind of expertise do they bring? Um, and that's another thing I would say as a lesson learned is be open-minded because you may think you know everything, and then you're sitting in a room of 300 people presenting at a critical design review, and someone says, how many times do they have to click to go through those 23 to, to launch that weapon? So highly recommend that you, you know, start in those questions about how, how is the human being integrated into this complicated hardware-software system, and who's on the team to help us address not just that, but all the problems. Hope that helps. Thank you, sir. Yeah, good question.
3: We probably have time for one more.
1: Good morning. I hope you all are doing well. Thank you for coming out. Uh, My name is cadet second class Keelan Lorenzo from the Air Force Academy.
2: And Mr. Lever, my question is for you. Um, You said, you know, don't be a typical engineer. Like, pick a specific niche in your field and specialize. And in, like, the changing world of engineering and with us, you know, tying together hardware and software and things like that, how do you pick just one field to where, like, Like where you're not stuck and where you feel like you're not stagnating, as like the world is advancing past that.
3: Thank you. Great question. That's
4: a great question. And you got to think about where you want to go in your career, and what company you're with, because in the day the technology changes so rapidly. Even in in my field of welding technology, of power beam technology, is always changing. So I still stay abreast in that, but at that power beam covers the laser electron, beam welding. but that covers another vast layer underneath that. So that's the top umbrella, where I'm the expert. So I'm always changing with my colleagues around the world, not in the United States, around the world, so I can see what's the vision, what's happening on, the global, so on a global level. And that's how I get to become the expert, because I'm changing. It's what we did. 20 years ago, I graduated. Actually, four years ago, I graduated from Ohio State to what we're doing right now. Still, baseline, but it's, it's it's the complication, the complexity has changed so rapidly. So, while you pick that area, you got to be with one of the leading experts with the change, and you still be the expert. So, you've
1: just got to stay focused and always remember, you got to change with the technology. It, to add to that, to that awesome point, that change, you got to change. Uh, one thing that drives me is if I'm uncomfortable, that means I'm learning. So constantly strive to learn more. Just because you may have some expertise or some skills in maybe a specific engineering field doesn't mean you can't expand your knowledge and learn in whatever field you want. It's all up to you. And be comfortable with being uncomfortable, if that makes sense, because that means you're learning. Thank you so much. Thank you. The second part of that is build your network. Oh, yeah. Even though I'm the
4: worlding expert, when I, can, when I have situations, I can call my friend in Germany, Italy, Belgium, I can say, hey, what's up in uh, Professor Komachi <laughs> over in Japan? So you, I got a global network to help yeah. me build up my assets. Okay, So I'm just here. I'm one individual, but I still got the entire global for my college of 50th country to help me be the best of the best of the best. So,
1: thank you so much.
4: So,
3: so, thank you. Thank you all for your time today. I appreciate it. We've heard a couple of themes. Life learners, mentorship, networking, continue to train, educate, be a skeptic, ask lots of questions and challenge your own thoughts. Embrace diversity. Try not to be the only one in the room if you have influence and or control. Lastly, I wanna close with success leaves clues. What was shared today can be modeled and emulated. You are the leaders of the future. Embrace it, own it, defend it, and deploy it. Thank you.